goodbye, 2020. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Good times come and good times go, and when they do, hold on to these bones and feathers, herbs and stone, words and weather, hearth and home. Hippie witch, hippie. Hippie Witch, Season Three, My Favorite Number. Nice. Hi, thanks for joining me for Episode Four Hundred and Eighty-Seven of Hippie Witch: Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna Devoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kickass Witch, Putting McKay in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com, where you will also find the show notes for this episode, which are very, 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 very important because I will be linking from there to Rory Kelly, R O R I E, for those of you listening on the go. Kelly, K E L L Y, Rory Kelly, your new favorite singer songwriter. What? <laughs> If you teach a bird to sing, she gonna learn to fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly away. Oh, how pretty! I'm gonna play that song later. I cannot play it right now, or I will start crying because I am feeling all the feels right now. 2020 is almost over. Is anyone feeling nostalgic? Is the wrong word, but I can't find the right word, so I'll say nostalgic. There must be a better word because that has. I think a tone of positivity to it that I don't necessarily mean. But do you feel kind of nostalgic, emotional? Maybe I just mean emotional. Do you feel emotional about this year? I I'm gonna cry trying to talk about this. <laughs> It's so interesting. I feel like we really went through some shit together this year as a society, as a culture, in our individual. Communities and families, and I'm gonna interrupt myself right there. I just rambled on for two hours trying to record for you. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe a little more than two hours trying to record for you a 2020 recap. But I guess I still feel strongly about some things that happened this year in a way that maybe you don't want to hear about. <laughs> I I kept starting over. I would get really deep into a rant and realize this might not be fun for anybody to listen to, and so I would start over and then try again. And I just kept going there. So I'm just gonna cut myself off and say, hey, if you want a fun, interesting recap of 2020, and you happen to be what someone might describe as a leftist. A liberal, a bleeding heart liberal. If you are a person who might be described that way, and you have Netflix, I would highly recommend checking out Death to 2020. It's a mockumentary. It goes through the news of the year. I've only seen one third of it because the kid and I are basically connected at the hip these days. We have one big TV that we share, and if we're watching TV. I usually let him pick what we're gonna watch, and he probably doesn't want to watch a mockumentary on news. So I've been sneaking little pieces of it here and there. It got really bad reviews from the critics, but on Twitter, people were loving it, which piqued my interest 
People were cracking up about it and saying how awesome it is. And that's always interesting to me when the critics, when the professional critics have one opinion and the public has another opinion. I'm always like, what is going on here? So I checked it out and within minutes it had me cracking up. The first moment that comes to mind that made me laugh out loud is I think they were talking about the wildfires, which were extremely scary. I live in Southern California. This is something actually that is stressful, not just being in the fire, but also not being able to see the sky and wondering what in the hell are we inhaling? You're not supposed to go outside because it's so smoky. It's very scary. It's not a joke. So you need to have a certain kind of dark sense of humor, I think, to appreciate a mockumentary like this. But there was this piece of narration that said, fire, an angry, radicalized form of air. (laughs) And it just caught me off guard and surprised me and made me laugh. And I was like, okay, you have my attention. Again, I've only seen about a third of the thing, but as much as I've seen so far, I would say Lisa Kudrow totally steals the show. Her character is absolutely hilarious. So if you're looking for a 2020 recap with a very dark sense of humor and a liberal leftist sensibility, and you have Netflix, maybe go check that out because... I clearly do not have what it takes to do a 2020 recap. 2020 is just a lot to try to wrap your head around. And so I think I'm just going to rely on my interview here with Rory because I know for sure that it is uplifting and super encouraging and inspiring. And that's the way I want to go into 2020. I did have plans to talk about the year I lost my hustle and got my groove on. I've got bullet points for this, but I don't even know if I'm feeling that anymore. I will say my word of the year for 2020 was groovy. Groovy. Was 2020 groovy for you? (laughs) It's funny. When I pick a word of the year, I always feel like what's really happening is the word of the year picks me. As a new year starts to approach, it always seems like a word, it just sort of lands. It's like, here I am, now what are you going to do about it? And I always choose to engage with it and be like, okay, word, show me, show me what you got. For me, as a word nerd, this is a true spiritual practice, is working with one word all year long and seeing how it unfolds, how it forms a kind of lens or a perspective for looking at my life and all the different circumstances I encounter that year, how often it pops up. I blame the reticular activating system for this. You pick a word of the year or the word of the year picks you and then you see it everywhere. And when Groovy first presented itself to me, I was like, oh, that's cute. I liked it. I was excited about it because it was cute and fun. And 2020 was anything but cute and fun, right? But I did learn the power of being groovy. I learned the meaning of groovy. You can't be groovy until you surrender. You must surrender control. Control. Try to be a control freak who is groovy. You cannot be a groovy control freak. These things do not go together. (laughs) Groovy to me is about being in the flow, going with the flow, being able to respond to whatever comes my way without freaking out about it and getting into kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Instead, it's more of a calm acceptance of what is, a surrender to what is, so that I can respond in a way that is powerful for me, so that I can respond in a way that doesn't make things worse. And this, I had many moments of 
recognizing this. Oh, this is what Groovy is about for me. Groovy is about surrender and living in kind of a Zen flowy state of being so that I can respond to life, so that I can be really present to life. And I kind of went back and forth with realizing this and forgetting it and realizing this and forgetting it as you do when you're learning something new. But then it all came to a head for me at the beginning of October when I was planning a big launch for my business and I was in the midst of doing a lot of different things and then some stressful life circumstances occurred and I was starting to get really worked up about it all, very much the opposite of groovy. And I had this moment where I realized that I did not have to do the big launch when I had put it on my calendar to do it. People weren't beating down my doors being like, you must launch the thing, Joe. I don't have a team relying on me. I'm a one-woman operation, and I could put that off and do it at a more comfortable pace for myself, and the product itself will probably be better because I'm not creating it in a space of stress. And trying to control and do all the things. I am a hustler. I'm a hustler. I'm ambitious. I do the things. I do all the things. I do less things now, my friends, (laughs) because I am groovy. And I realized in that moment, whenever that happened in October, actually, I, I had some insights around this in September, but it really took me into October before I finally completely just let go. And all through November and December, life has happened. Inconvenient things have happened. Challenges have happened. Unexpected, unwanted surprises have happened. And I have been groovy throughout it all. It's been quite shocking to realize that 80% of the stress in my life was self-created. It was self-generated. It was based on stories that I told myself. And deadlines that I set for myself that were completely made up and that my life could be so much happier and hippier and way more groovy if I just went with the flow with the energy that I have that day. Of course, I need to meet my commitments and my responsibilities, but I don't need to pile on top of that a whole bunch of ambition I can achieve quite a lot in a calm state and inspiration will take me quite far without me pushing it because when I push it, I'm pushing myself past my energetic limits and that ultimately will culminate in me feeling like I'm going to freak out. I need a break. I need 10 assistants. I can't do this all myself. Well, Groovy taught me that nobody's asking you to do it all yourself. Nobody's asking you to do all of this. You've just taken it all upon yourself. So maybe just think of, I think of the Ten of Wands in Tarot. Like, you're climbing up the mountain and you're holding all the wands and it's heavy. Oh, it's such a burden. It's such a burden. Well, Groovy says, lay your burden down. Put the damn sticks down. (laughs) Put them down and run up the hill because it's fun. Or just take a nap. For God's sake, take a nap. (sighs) Groovy. I like it. Groovy. Groovy. I might just leave that in my intro. I've been saying I am the groovy creatrix instead of the kooky creatrix, which I think is slightly self-depreciating. I feel like groovy is a bit more empowering than kooky, so I think it will stick around for a bit longer. So that is my Cliff Notes version of the story of the year I lost my hustle and got my groove on. And then speaking of groovy, let us get to this month's groovy patron of the month and so much more than that. Rory Kelly, singer, songwriter, card slinger, Rory Kelly. She says something in this interview that I think is very quotable. I feel like we should all tweet this out or 
Facebook this out or wherever you social media this out. She said, once you turn someone on to their own power, there is no stopping them. I love that. She said that about her song, If You Teach a Bird to Sing, which is that little clip that I just played for you. I'm going to play the whole song for you after the interview. But I also want to mention that in the show notes, I will be linking to Sassafras Tarot, which you will hear us talk about. That is her tarot biz. She also has Sassafras Cast, which is a new podcast. The singer-songwriter stuff, though, I have to say... My Patreon friends over on Discord were very fired up about Rory because Rory has a big personality and we were all very aware of her presence when she arrived. She's so talented. Once you go check out her music, you're like, oh, yes. But I did not understand the full power of Rory Kelly until after this interview, after this interview, when I was going around collecting links to create the show notes, I found this series that she's been doing. I think she's posting it live in a number of different places. I caught the replay on YouTube. It's called Monday Night Muse. It's a live show that she does. She did one on Solstice. And it got me so choked up at the beginning because she's playing around with this looper where she's like making sounds and layering all these vocalizations on top of each other. And you really get this sense that Rory is so free and unpretentious and living in the moment. And it really touches my heart to see that. I feel like we don't see that often enough. And then to hear it, to hear it, she, oh, she has a voice and it comes from the bottom of her soul and she's so unafraid in sharing it. I'm an even bigger fan than I was before we recorded this. So I will definitely link to that as well. So you can check that out. And without any further ado, here she is, Rory Kelly. Hi, Rory. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi, thank you for having me. You're such a rock star. Thanks, I try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're literally a rock star. And also, you're kind of just a rock star in this little Discord group that we have. Everybody loves you and is excited about what you do. So I'm excited to have you on the show so we can spread that love around and more people can learn about the fabulous rock star who is Rory Kelly. Well, thank you. I am so, like, can I tell you, joining your Discord group has been actually, like, really healing for me. Really? Because I am, I was someone who, I was very unpopular in, like, middle and high school. Like, I didn't really have any friends. I went to a pretty kind of straight-laced small high school. And, like, there was no one, like, who was really a bad person, but I just wasn't, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. And then when I joined your Discord and I kind of just found a bunch of people who right away were like really nice to me and really like, you know, like interested and interesting, it was like, oh my gosh, this is how it can be. Like you can actually just go into a group of people and make friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. I've had bad experiences. I'm very naive that way. I think like back when I was in a band, there was a forum that was just musicians talking about music. And I thought very naively. I'll just wander in and talk about music and it'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) No. I apparently had like a target on my back that I did not know about. And it was just kind of like a hazing thing. It was explained to me, this is how they treat newcomers. Oh, I was like, well, that's not really fun (laughs) or welcoming. (laughs) So I'm glad to hear it's been the opposite in my little community over there. And I just know people are fired up about what you do because you do a lot of things. So maybe we'll start with the singing because I referred to you as a rock star, which I think you are. So when did this start? How did this start? And you also play guitar. Yeah. So I'm a singer-songwriter and I have been since I was like 13. I've obviously gotten way better at singing and songwriting since being 13. (laughs) But like, I've kind of known that was like my path in life since that time. And I'm just like a dogged, stubborn person. (laughs) And so I just was, I've been like determined to make it my life's work. 
So here I am, you know, I'm 36 now and I like, it is my life's work now. And I'm like, so, so grateful for that. And it's wonderful. doesn't mean like it's easy. Like you don't kind of make it anymore. (laughs) You just get to try to create the career that really works for you. And that's what I continue to do every day. It's an ongoing practice. I learn. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that experience hit musicians first of the, there's no making it. There's no being chosen really, which is freeing in a way because you don't really need someone's permission to do what you do. And you've been doing it for a long time. You have a certain skill set as a songwriter that it's funny that I introduced you as a singer and guitar player. Cause I actually think of your songwriting specifically as your secret sauce, your special thing. I love your song, If You Teach a Bird to Sing, and you refer to it as an empowerment anthem. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is? That song is so, to me, it's like a freedom anthem, but maybe it means something else to you. Yeah, it is kind of a freedom anthem. I wrote it at a time when everything in my life was crappy, and I was writing a lot of positive, empowering songs, like I think, because I needed it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the backstory is there's a singer that I love named Brandy Carlisle. She's super awesome, wonderful. She was raised on stage, like she she performed as like a child at like the Grand Old Opry and stuff like this, but as a like as a country and western singer. And then when she started getting into singer songwriters and original bands, her parents who kind of had led her career that that far were like, uh, no, that's not the path for you, you know. <laughs> and I remember her talking about it in an interview and how that was like this really difficult coming of age thing for her was like finding her own path as an artist, not the path that had been led for her. Mm. And it led me to this idea of she has this beautiful, like ridiculously free, big voice. And I was listening to her live album and thinking, man, those dopey people (laughs) tried to control her art. Like they gave her the tools, they gave her the key, which was training her to open up her voice. And then they tried to push her in their own direction. And that's kind of like what it means to me is like, once you... Once you turn someone on to their own power, like there is no stopping it. Yes. Yeah. That really comes across in the lyrics too. And then you got to sing this at the White House, at the Obama White House. How did that happen? Yeah. Community, I would say. I'm like a big community nerd in part because like, like I said earlier, like I wasn't popular in high school. And then when I like discovered that I could find communities that were... I guess you would say like niche communities of like people of like mind. I was like, oh my God, what? I can have friends. So so I'm part of the bi community and the Northeast area. We're very close knit because it's like a smaller community than like the larger, like kind of LGBTQ community. So there was the Obama administration was the first administration to do this, to have a day that was really about focusing on the unique needs and experiences of bisexual people in America And they like devoted a day to this and it was like a conference and it was, you know, supposed to be informational to help drive legislation and stuff like that. And there also was a component of allowing artists to share their art. So I was just supremely lucky that I knew some of the people organizing it and got the invite to go down and be a part of it. Oh, they were lucky too. Didn't you perform if you teach a bird to sing? Yeah, I did. And my dad took like screenshots of me, like on the White House uh, official, you know, channel. (laughs) Why is this getting me choked up? It's too early in the day to feel choked up right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Right. It's it's later for me. I've had like a minute. (laughs) Well, when I think about the lyrics and I think about singing at the White House and then I think about everything you just said about, I didn't even know they had a special day for that. How specific, how interesting that they did that. Yeah. And it is like, actually, it's a very, it's a community that faces kind of unique situations. Uh, One statistic that always blows me away is bisexual people are more likely than either straight or gay people to experience like intimate partner violence. And yeah, right. It's really interesting. And it's kind of this in-between community where you're kind of not accepted fully in either community or like in this like kind of weird passing area. (laughs) So again, it really kind of ties into that song. And it reminds me of how much people want to put other people in boxes. We want you to be in a box. We want to put a label on you. And it's very upsetting when we can't do that. It's a control thing, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it makes people more comfortable. Like it's like, okay, if I can put you into this box, even if it's not something I necessarily whatever experience or empathize with, I don't have to alter my worldview to understand you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of defiance, rebellion, and sass in the language that is all over your website, your social media presence, you are a tarot reader. We will definitely talk about that. I just mentioned it here because I noticed across your Twitter that you have for Sassafras, tarot is as smart and sassy. Tarot insights for smart and sassy humans. (laughs) And you're described as queer, intersectional, feminist, witch lady. But then on your music, it says creating songs to start a fire You call yourself a lady beast, which is hilarious and awesome. And so I thought maybe we could unpack all of that. Why are you so sassy, Rory? You know, I just can't help it. It's in my blood. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a sassy lady beast. (laughs) I think that's it, though. I think, like, um, I have reclaimed joy in, like, my 30s. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I... I definitely was the kid who went to school like wearing rainbow leg warmers and stuff like that in, uh, you know, like in 1998 and everyone was wearing like, you know, kind of button down shirts and jeans and looking at me like, who is this person? Mm. <laughs> like, and I was like, I just wanted to let my freak flag fly. I was like, yes, I love creativity. I love being a weirdo. It's exciting. And I just like did not have, I did not have the people <laughs> around mm-hmm. me who were supportive of that. And so then I learned to like, be smaller and stay in the background kind of as like a self-protective measure, you know, to like not be seen, which is really weird and hard if your, if your career is about <laughs> performing. Yeah. <laughs> so right? I do feel like I have like reclaimed, like having a big personality. Cause I feel like that's valid and like having a big personality and still being like an introvert and a nerd and a geek, you know, <laughs> it's allowed. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I can relate to that because I feel introverted, like an introvert in that I need tons of time alone in my own head with no people interrupting me regularly. That is the bulk of my life. (laughs) But then when you get me in front of people or in a room full of people, I'm very loud and outgoing. And it's a funny combination. Maybe that is the creative combination because to make the things you have to be alone, but then to share the things there needs to be other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like when, certainly like when you're doing something like doing your podcast or when you're like doing a Zoom chat or in your Discord group, you're immersed in your element, right? You're doing the thing that you love to do that's your heart and soul. And when I'm on stage, I'm immersed in my element. And so all of the best parts of me can come out and and then I get to go home and be an introvert and sit with my cat and that's okay. (laughs) Do you feel comfortable on stage? Yes. It's like a second home to me. Now I do, you know, like I didn't, I certainly didn't start out comfortable on stage, but now I'm like almost too casual on stage. (laughs) So So you don't get any nerves at all before you step on stage? No, I mean, I might, like, I certainly, I did at the white house. You know what I mean? Like I, I certainly like, if it's a special thing, I might get nerves, but now I'm used to it. You know, up until like COVID hit, I was gigging like almost every night and, you know, doing like cover gigs at bars and stuff like that. And so it really became like almost the, as casual as taking the train to work for most people. You know what I mean? It's just like, here I am, I'm doing what I do now. And it's healthy. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of fear, which is one of my favorite subjects, but kind of the irony and kind of the bitch of it is the only way to overcome fear is to move through it. It's an action thing. So it's all those years of performing that you're just like, well, I'm at work, I'm getting on stage, but I imagine in the beginning, it did not feel that way. And you just have to be afraid in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And I think I had to like find my voice. Like I know at first I might ramble about this because this is like a topic I'd like to have a TED talk on. (laughs) Like musicians, I think, feel that they're bad at marketing themselves and bad at putting themselves out there performatively. Most musicians I talk to, they feel like those are scary, stressful things to them and they'd rather just make art. And the truth is like, I think we're actually really good at that. We're actually very good at connecting. We're very good at creating powerful, moving imagery, which is the heart of marketing. 
right? And it's the heart of um, getting a message out there. But we have been told that these are two separate things and two separate parts of our personality. So we get on stage and we feel like, oh, now I have to have a quote unquote stage presence. And I don't even know what that is. And the more I felt comfortable just being myself, including my goofy self on stage, the more things were fine. You know, like the more, the easier it got and the better people responded. Whereas at first when I got on stage, I felt like I had to like be a, be a showman. You know what I mean? And that did not work for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's really about connection. You used the word connection and Mm -hmm. that is really what you're doing through your art. And if you can keep that as a through line and see your marketing as a creative opportunity to connect. It all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard for musicians because they have this, as soon as you say the word, the M word, as soon as you say marketing or business, the B word, you know, musicians have been trained that they're bad at this, but it's not true at the same way. Like a lot of women think they're bad at math because there's this unfair assessment that like, Oh, girls can't do math. And it's, it's not true. It's not that they're not capable of learning, but we have like mental blocks around it because we've been told so much that we're bad at it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, I'm all about reclaiming those skills and reclaiming the idea of like, no, actually we are supremely good at making connections and creating special moments that draw people together and help people like lead to decisions and epiphanies, which again, those things are the heart of marketing. And the fact that there's this artificial separation is what keeps musicians from feeling they can do it. How does this come into play as a tarot reader? Sassafras tarot. I just want to say that sassafras tarot. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> sassafras tarot. There's a podcast, sassafras tarot. Yeah. Yeah. It's brand new. It's a little baby podcast. I just call it sassafras cast because, you know. Um, sassafras cast. Yeah. You know, I've been reading tarot since I was a teenager also, like around the same time. My grandmother was a tarot reader. I grew up with it in my family. What? That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's so funny. I was just listening to your interview with B and Todd and you're talking about like having a religious background and having to like deconstruct and reconstruct. And for me, it's like, I grew up without a real religious background. I kind of grew up somewhat free. Like my parents really encouraged me. Like they taught me about their sense of morality, but encouraged me to kind of like find my own path. And my grandma was a tarot reader, like a very well-known one in the New York area. And so I grew up with tarot cards and I did not think there was anything weird about them. And then I remember like actually having like an incident in my high school where I brought some tarot cards into the cafeteria to read for a friend. And I was told I had to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And your rainbow leg warmers, get the hell out of here. Get out. Right. And it was like, it was a weird moment to me because like it didn't, it genuinely hadn't occurred to me that this was something people associated with anything unwholesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, I don't know. Tarot has been like a thing in my life and I've always seen it even when I haven't had like a spiritual practice as like this very powerful psychological tool, like an opportunity to really explore and reflect on parts of yourself through these archetypal images. I'm very curious about this grandma. Did she teach you tarot? Did she introduce you to tarot? Did she have cards laying around that you're allowed to touch when you were little? She did have cards. She was also an artist. She was a um, very talented painter and drawer. <laughs> I guess you illustrator. Say. <laughs> illustrator. Yes. Thank you. Better. <laughs> um, so she actually had a deck of cards that she would read for me and my sister when we were children. That was just the major arcana that she had hand drawn. And I remember her reading for me and her saying, these are the only cards I will read for people under a certain age with, because with my cards, like nothing really bad can come up for you. You know, like nothing really bad can, um, you know, be reflected in this deck. She had deliberately kind of drawn it that way. Hmm. And yeah, which I thought was this really nice thing is that the other side of her is that she was so motivated by like making the world a better place for children and helping children feel connected to their creativity. It just felt very natural to me. And then I remember being a teenager and going to this shop in New York City, The Magical Child, which is no longer there, but it's one of the places she used to read. It was called and The Magical Child? The Magical Child, yeah. And um, I remember going there to like get my first tarot deck and being excited. And like the person behind the counter who knew my grandma was like, oh, you're Emma's granddaughter? Like, don't even look at the book. Just ask Emma. <laughs> like, she'll teach you. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And she didn't exactly teach me. She gave me some advice, you know, and that it was a very solitary practice for me, which is good. That's how I learned, you know, like that was very healthy for me to kind of just like find, 
find the tarot in my own way. What a cool legacy. It is. It's really special. I, I feel grateful, you know, to have this like strong maternal like legacy of awesome artists and badass women in my life. I'm really curious about where you live because I think if the internet is telling me correctly, you live in Long Island in uh-huh. New York, but there's something Southern about you. You mentioned country music and you play guitar, acoustic guitar, and I guess the way you talk kind of reminds me maybe of a Southern. Are you Southern? Is there a Southern anything in your family? What is sassafras? <laughs> that, <laughs> that feels Southern specifically. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go there. It's really funny. People say that to me a lot and have been since I was a teenager. And I've never lived anywhere but New York. Or actually, I lived in Ohio for two years when I was like 18 to 20 after I moved out of my parents' house. But that didn't really affect my speech patterns. I think, though... My grand, my, not my grandma, my mom was very dead set on us not having like the typical Long Island accent. You know what I mean? Mm. So it was important for, to her that I don't want to sound judgmental, but like in her mind, you know, speak properly, you know, like enunciate words in a, in a way that didn't sound very accented. So maybe that's part of it. I also grew up on music. Like I spent a lot of time listening to like Ben Folds Five and Jump Little Children who were both from North Carolina when I was a teenager. And that's really possible that that influenced my speech patterns. I don't know. I'm a weirdo. How interesting. You, you talk fast like a New Yorker, but there are just... <laughs> is sassafras, is that not a Southern thing? Am I wrong to think? It might that? be a Southern thing. Well, it's a tree. So sassafras tarot is called sassafras tarot because when I bought my house in 2016, I discovered that there were all of these sassafras trees on my property. And at the time, that seemed really cool and exotic to me. And apparently, it's like very common in this part of Suffolk County, which is on Long Island. But I was like, oh my God, sassafras trees. And I think they're such a cool tree. It originally, like that was how people made root beer out of the roots of the sassafras tree. They also have healing associations. And then they also have like, there's some bad mouthing of it because there are some components or constituents, I guess, of the leaves that in great amounts can be toxic. So it's like that thing of like, I think some herbs get a little bit demonized because they haven't been as researched by Western medicine. It's like, that's not safe. Don't do it. And it's probably, there's like a more, (laughs) there's a, there's a more accurate approach of like, here's when it's safe to use. Here's when it's not, but we haven't like explored it in Western science or whatever. Right. And we all, we all love our root beer. Yeah. Right. What's not to love about root beer? Yeah. So the sassafras, sassafras trees are like just awesome and they smell really good. Like the way they reproduce is they send out shoots, they send out little roots that then pop up and create like a new tree. And if you're not careful, you get like a sassafras jungle. So when I mow the lawn, I like will have to mow down some of those little baby sassafras trees and the smell is amazing. Oh, (laughs) it's so cool. It's just like this like beautiful, fresh, like weird woods, woodsy smell. So I don't know. I'm crazy about sassafras trees. They have three different kinds of leaves. They have the single lobe leaf and two lobes and three lobes, and they kind of look like hands. So it's just like such a cool witchy tree, in my opinion. Mm. So And also know, the just, word sass is literally built in there. Yeah, right. So that's nice too, because I'm like, sassiness is a 100% part of my brand. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. What does it mean to you? I think it's one of those cool, slightly old timey words, you know, that I like for that reason. Like it feels a little retro to say like, oh, she's sassy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it's, I don't know. I like it because it's very, it's, it's lighthearted. I I think there's this sense of both being like not having to toe the line and a hundred percent agree with and buy into kind of like all the things you're supposed to say and supposed to do in like orthodoxy culture, but also like be doing so in a way that's not super combative. It's like, it's sassy. It's lighthearted. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's the friend who's going to tell it like it is, but she's going to make you laugh about it. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just like the energy of it. Mm-hmm. Is that the energy that you bring to a tarot reading? Yeah, I try to, I try to have a real sense of humor with tarot readings. I know some readers are not like this at all. They try to be very serious. That's like, that's okay. Like there's different things people are looking for in a reading. But I feel like big stuff comes up in tarot readings, you know, like your shadow comes up in tarot readings, stuff that has challenged you deeply comes up. And I feel like I don't want to create more trauma and weirdness around that for a client. I want to, I want to be lighthearted. I want to give them an opportunity to laugh in the midst of like stressful topics. Mm -hmm. It helps stay in the game. If you can laugh, you don't check out. It allows you to be present. I have found. Yeah, right. 
Right. If somebody I, has to deliver some kind of hard truth, it's just easier to sit with it if you can laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that way. And I feel like um, when we make the world too serious, it's like hard for us to find our way out of that sometimes. So mm-hmm. That's music, stories. You have an album that you're working on? Is yeah. this right? Called Shadow Work? Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is your audience. Do you want to tell us about Shadow Work? Yeah, I'm such a, it's like, I'm just like, I'm a super shadow work nerd. You know, like my last album that came out in 2016, gosh, it takes me a long time. It was called Rising, Rising, Rising. It was all those like empowerment songs that I wrote because I was going through my own journey, right? Of like learning how to find my empowerment. And it felt good and it felt good to be putting empowerment in the world. And then my journey took the form of like, okay, I've found kind of like, I've started to heal this relationship with myself. And a lot of that has involved shadow work, like showing up for the darker stuff and kind of, you know, so to speak, like holding my own hand for it, you know? And I really, really, it's important to me not to be like a spiritual bypasser. You know, it's important to me to be like, shadow work is important and it's important to acknowledge our dark stuff. And I think that's what that's what's healing to me about art is when we share our darkness and we share our struggles and we are both healed by it. You know, like the music that heals me the most is like someone who is singing about something that really sucks that I've been through too, <laughs> you yeah, know, and it just yeah. feels so good. I feel seen. And that's what I want to do is I want to help people feel seen around the dark stuff that we do not feel like we have permission to talk about. So, so your last album was Empowerment and this one is Catharsis. Oh, yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like there's a real element of permission for me. Cause I think also as a songwriter, you get this thing of like a lot of singer songwriters have a joke about being dark. Like here's another depressing song. Like you'll hear that a lot <laughs> in acoustic set. But I think we get taught that we're not supposed to do that. Like people like more upbeat music. People are more interested to hear about something happy, you know? And I don't think it's true. I actually think that people turn to art in their darkest times and that, seeing the darkness of another acknowledges our darkness and heals us. So I kind of, partly it's about me giving myself permission to own that, you know? Yeah. I think it's wherever you are at in your life, what you need in the moment. So in creating a catalog of work, you're creating a menu for people. If I need some empowerment, I'll listen to rising, rising, rising. If I need some catharsis, I'll listen to shadow work. When does it come out? Do you have a date? I know it's going to be spring 2021. I'm kind of toying with the idea of putting it out on the Equinox because I think that's neat. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so it might be on the spring Equinox. I'm not going to commit to it, but it's definitely like rolling around in my head. It will be sometime in the springtime in 2021. That I can assure you. <laughs> Maybe a good post-pandemic album. Yeah, gosh, hopefully. Let's all do our shadow work together now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that what 2020 is? Like, I feel like we are all accidentally doing shadow work in 2020, like it or not. <laughs> to me, it's maybe a cultural tower card mm-hmm. kind of uh-huh. year. I'm not sure how it's going to land. I feel like the tower is still falling <laughs> and that maybe next year will be picking up the pieces and looking at them and being like, okay, so this changed and this is what this means. And this is how we go forward. But after the tower comes the star. Yes. That's pretty serious. Mm -hmm. I've been feeling a lot of nine of swords energy for the last like two months. It's just exhausting. I'm just like, please. That's not fun. Yeah. No, No, that's like the least fun card ever. It's not fun. And it's not just like, it's not personal. It's, It's personal too, but like, in almost every tarot reading I've done, and I do a bunch of them now, my tarot business went way up in 2020 because a lot of people want guidance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's been coming up in almost every reading. And it's, it's crazy. Like, I really do feel like in 2020, everyone has had to come face to face with like really big fears, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where like everyone is. Everyone's navigating their fears right now. So I don't know, man, I would love to see the collective consciousness, like move forward to something like, okay, and now we've examined our fears and now we all know ourselves better. Uh, But I just keep seeing the nightmare card. (laughs) Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We will. We will. Let's give a shout out to your different URLs. People that want to get a tarot rating. Where do they go? So I'm on Etsy. If you you search Sastafras Tarot on Etsy, you will find me. 
And sassafras is spelled differently than most people think. It's S-A-S-S-A-F-R-A-S. There's no second S at the end. It's very sneaky that way. Yes. Um, well, I'm going to link to yeah. it as well, but for people on the oh, go, Sassafras Tarot. Yeah. And if they want to hear my podcast, Sassafras Cast, they can search Sassafras Cast, all one word. I only have four episodes. It's a baby podcast, but it's made me really, really happy to make it. Yay. And it's going to be tarot-centric or all the it's things? Like, yeah, kind of all the things. It's kind of like, kind of vaguely witchy, you know, like witchy insight and ideas podcast. Like, I really like the idea of it being like a sandbox where we talk about different things that are exciting to me, like in spirituality or help me through times. Like all of the all of the last four months have been about us like getting through this very chaotic time. So there's been a real focus on that, you know? Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of it being like a sandbox where I'm not the person you know, telling you what to do. I'm just like, here's some ideas. Here's some beliefs that I think are useful to me. I love the idea of belief as useful versus like inerrant truth. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I'm big on that too. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's been, it's been all over the place. I haven't done any super tarot centric episodes, but I do pull a card at the beginning of every episode and do like a witchy weather report. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh my rude my autocorrect has changed your name to Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> it does not recognize Rory. How do people find your music? Uh, so RoryKelly.com is where you can find everything. Like all my social media is linked there. All of my music is obviously available there. And I'm on all the, all the usual spots, Spotify and iTunes and Bandcamp and all those spots. If you have a place you like to buy music, I'm there. Yay. Perfect. Okay. So do you know what my last question to you is going to be? I have a feeling I know. (laughs) (laughs) What is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? So this is the most nerdy Virgo answer you'll probably ever get. It's to track things. Like Mm. really that's what has transformed my life the most is tracking things. I like to do it with spreadsheets. I might've mentioned I'm a Virgo, but what you focus on grows. And when I wanted to leave my day job and begin making music full time, what I started doing was tracking the money I was making with music so I could learn what was working and what was not working. And just the act of tracking it and like kind of staring at the spreadsheet, you know, every month or two made me understand what needed to happen. You know, like it gave me small shifts to get myself on the path. And then, you know, lo and behold, here I am. So track it. Yes. You can track everything. Time is my favorite thing to track, but it's funny how we frame things in different ways. So you said this is like my nerdy Virgo way. Something that I suggest often to coaching clients is similar, but I always frame it as spying on yourself. So I think that's like (laughs) my, my Scorpio moon is like spy on yourself, (laughs) but I think we're saying the same thing. Learn your dark secrets. <laughs> well, it's you can, you know, what you do is very revealing and you can track that, as you say, yeah. and learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, it's amazing how much you think you know about your daily life until you track it. And then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, huh, I guess I do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can do it with food. You can do it with time. You can do it with money. Yeah anything. And I love tracking time because I am one of those people who's always like, oh God, I don't have enough hours in the day. But it's like, well, you got the same as everyone else. Let's see where they're going. You know? Yeah. It reveals, it reveals your values. It shows Mm -hmm. you like your results, not only reveal you, but your, the way that you spend your time will show you what you truly value, not what you think you should value or what you want other people to think that you value, but what you truly value. And then if you don't like what you see and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that's horrible. If you have a judgment on it, then you can change it. Yeah. And I think it, I think inherently there's some shadow work there too. Like I know when I track my time, if I'm finding, if I'm spending time on social media, like I know it comes from the part of me that feels like nobody likes me. I need validation. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Yeah. And then knowing that I can be like, maybe, maybe there's a healthier way to do this. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yes. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was really fun. And I hope everybody will go listen to... Can we play? Can we play if you teach a bird to sing? Oh my God. Yes, please. Yay. So I have that track right now. If you teach a bird to sing, I feel like this is the perfect way to end 2020. 
May you have the happiest new year and may 2021 bless your life in so many amazing ways that it totally makes up for whatever nonsense happened this year. Until we meet again, it'll be next year when we meet again. Much love to you. Peace. If you teach a bird to sing, she gonna learn to fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly away. If you teach a bird to sing, she gonna learn to fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly. If you let her sing, she gonna fly away. Fly.